Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Vodcast. Hello again, everybody. This is Rabbi Chaim Schwartz of the Vodabon of Queens and the popular Vodcast. Our latest guest is Rabbi Yossi Horowitz of Yossi'sCorkboard.com. You might all know Yossi is a wine enthusiast, blogger, taster, very knowledgeable about the world of wine as we're coming up to Pesach. We wanted to discuss all different types of wines, the field of winemaking, and particularly kosher winemaking. Yossi travels all over the world, and he knows a lot about the industry inside and out. We discussed the kosher end of it as well. What's the difference between mavushal and not mavushal as it applies to taste and quality? He also gave a lot of good information about what person should look for in a wine and what he thought would be a good recommendation to pursue for the start. What should a person drink for the Seder? And a lot of other information there as well. We just wanted to let everybody know as well that on our Facebook page, we have the webinar that Rabbi Welcher and myself, Rabbi Welcher being the chairman of the Kashrus Committee of the Vatabon of Queens, we answered questions for Pesach, a whole array of questions, all different types of topics. We covered it all, and we thank Rabbi Welcher for being able to take out from his time in order to answer all of the questions. Enjoy the podcast, and we wish everybody listening to this a Chag Kosher V'Sameach, and we can't wait to start up again after the holiday. This is Rabbi Chaim Schwartz with the Vodcast by the Vodemona Queens, and I had the great distinct pleasure of talking to somebody who I've admired for many years, Rabbi Yossi Horowitz, founder and author of Yossi's Corkboard. How are you doing, Rabbi Yossi? All good. Yossi's fine. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. So, uh, Rabbi Yossi, I just have to tell you that, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm actually a newbie to, to wine and appreciating wine. You probably hear this many times that most of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s really have no shaykhs to quality wine. I think we had Crema Lager for the Seder, and we thought we were big shots, and that was about as far as we went in the wine world. So just tell me how you got into this and tell me about yourself a little bit and how you got into the into the kosher wine world. Sure. I was born in Boston, and my parents made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael in, uh, when I was a kid, when I was eight. And while we always had wine for Shabbos, it was more just my father's halachically uh, inclined disposition to, to, that required wine as opposed to grape juice or something else for, for a kiddish. There was really no alcohol or drinking in the house. I think we had my dad would have a shot of amaretto once or twice a year to celebrate something, and that was about it. And when I was 16, uh, one of my dad's employees brought a bottle of one of the first kosher Bordeaux that was available in Israel at the time. First time I had ever had dry red wine, and I really liked it, which, as I'm sure you realize, is a little bit weird. And the guest who saw it, like to, to my father a little bit, kind of talked to me about wine and encouraged it a little bit. I just kind of decided I was interested, and, you know, this was 30 years ago or so, and the rules are pretty are still pretty lax in, in Israel, you know, back then, and there was a wine store in, in Yerushalayim called Avi Ben, which is actually still around. They have a couple of stores one, now. Is that the one, is that the one in uh, the Vitka? No, it's at the bottom of Nachlat Shiva. I used to go on Fridays, and, you know, no, the, the, there was school, but we would end early, and people didn't work on Fridays, and they would always have wine tastings on Fridays in the store, and I kind of wandered in there one day and started asking questions. I'm assuming there weren't a whole lot of uh, 16-year-olds showing up at wine stores asking questions about wine. And Avi Ben uh, took, an, took a liking to me and kind of helped me 
learn more about wine. And, you know, as someone who's kind of more recently getting into wine, I'm sure you realize that it's a world that almost has no, no end to it. And I just started tasting more and I found a couple of online forums and a couple of groups of people who would go to visit wineries and just kind of got into it. Then as I got a little older, you know, was in yeshiva and, and, and email came around. I started sending around just kind of reviews of a wine here and there, but nothing, nothing serious. It wasn't really until I moved to New York 15 years ago that I started writing my newsletter, which also kind of happened by happenstance right around this time, you know, maybe a month or two before Pesach, all the Pesach sales came out and all the new wines were introduced to the market. And I started getting tens and tens of emails from, you know, acquaintances, what, here's here's a list in my local store, what should I buy? And, you know, I respond to every email I get, sat down and started responding what my recommendations were. And after I'd written maybe 10 emails, I realized that it was a little crazy and I wasn't going to be able to respond to 60 or 70 emails all the same. And I just decided, you know what, people are interested, let's start a newsletter. And I kind of sent out an email, BCCing 200 people on my Gmail account. And basically said, you know, I'm going to do two recommendations. I'm going to do four recommendations a week, two red, two white. Here's my starter Pesach list. I think I had 20 wines on the list uh, as my Pesach list. And it kind of grew from that. And, and that's really the beginning, I guess. Now, let me ask and, you, is, is this what you do? Is this what you do for a Parnassa? Is this a full-time no, job? No. So, so wine is 100% not uh, my Parnassa. It is 100% a hobby. Um, I have uh, been very careful over the years to to not have any sort of commercial bent to it. I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at my website, yossi'scorkboard.com, you'll see there's no advertising. There's no even those Google banners, and I don't even take samples. And as I taste probably at this point over 3,000 different wines a year, and I either purchase all of the wines myself or taste them at you know trade shows, wine shows or by visiting the wineries. I don't really accept samples. I just, not that there's anything wrong with it. Most wine writers will accept samples. I just always felt like it was better to to not feel obligated to any, any one winery or distributor or things like that. But I have, a, you know, I'm a practicing transactional attorney. I work at a big firm in, in, in New York and have for, you know, since I've, since I graduated from law school and wine is a pure hobby albeit one that uh, over the years has taken on more and more of my free and less than free time. So uh, <laughs> one of the things that I that I, I, I admire about what you've done is that you've, I, I think that you've really brought out the greatness, the Tuva Aretz, the, the, the wines that from Eretz Yisrael, I think it comes very clearly through your blog and through your writings that you're a big fan of Eretz Yisrael, you know, as, as, a, as a Jew and as somebody in the wine industry. And I think because of you, I have this, Mahalach that I can only drink Israeli wine. Not only is it very delicious, but you're also, you know, being a kind of a mitzvah every time you drink, you know, I don't know if that's a mitzvah or not, but I just made it up. But also, <laughs> you're giving Parnassah to Jews in Eretz Israel. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that comes through very clearly. So, so I mean, when I, having grown up in Israel and lived in Israel from the age of eight to the age of 30, um, you know, my my entire initial upbringing in the world of wine was only with Israeli wines. There was very little high-end quality wines being imported, and the wines that were imported were well out of my financial reach. So while here and there I would have the opportunity to taste, I really didn't have a lot of exposure to it. 
it wasn't really until I moved to New York 15 years ago that I learned more about and immersed myself more in French wine, Spanish wine, Italian wine, and wines from other regions, all kosher, obviously. You know, different regions have different styles of wine, and growing up on one style of wine and really getting, getting a very deep and wide-ranging experience in one genre required to actually learn how to appreciate the qualities of other of other regions but you know it's a tough job but someone's got to do it it wasn't that it was a you know i was suffering but it did take some time to to appreciate it and i think one of the great things about wine is that there are so many different styles and so many different wineries that there's really something for everyone and while obviously i have a view about what is a better wine or a less good wine i really think that you know with wine both having the holy aspect and and you know the association with Kedusha that it, that it does, which makes it prevalent in pretty much every Jewish home, it also is ultimately a beverage that is meant to be dr- consumed and to bring pleasure. And one should really drink the wines that that they enjoy and not drink wines that they're, they think they're supposed to enjoy or someone else tells them to enjoy. Right. You know, actually, 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 in reading in reading your following you all these years, I've noticed that you're that you're a big advocate of the the best wine is the wine that you enjoy and that there's no mitzvah to save them and hold them and keep them for maybe one day you'll open it possibly could be it'll be worth something probably not right i mean my view is you know my my primary goal with the newsletter is to you know originally i was very focused on israel now you know i have a broader i guess i have a slightly broader view but still you know my my roots uh, of wine appreciation are certainly in, in the wines of Eretz Yisrael. And what, my goal is really to introduce people to, to get people to try new things. You know, humans like to stay in their comfort zone and not try new things. And I'm always trying to encourage people to try new things because I think that there's an amazing world out there that I enjoy, that I love, that I'm very passionate about, and I want to share with other people. So trying something that somebody else recommends is great. And I think that that's one way, you know, with 3,000 different labels coming out every year, it's very hard to sift through them. And, you know, I view that as one of my responsibilities is kind of to help people sift through them and pick the better wines. But at the end of the day, like you said, you drink the wine, the, the best wine for you, the best wine for you is the wine that you enjoy. But I do think that it's important to try new things here and there and not, you know, necessarily, when I say new things, I don't necessarily mean a new label or, or a new winery, but I mean, if you're always drinking reds, maybe give a white a chance. If you, if you think that you don't like rosé, try it once. If you like heavier wines, try a lighter wine. You know, there there are a lot of different things, and different wines fit to different moods. The same way, very few people listen to only one band or only one type of music their whole life. You know, wine is is, is something where your style, where the styles and preferences change over the years and or over times. And frankly, from hour to hour, you can be in the mood for something different. And knowing that there's a wide range of things out there for you is is, is good. But at so the end of the day, to... sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. You were finishing at the end of the day? No, I was saying at the end of the day, you should stick, you should drink the wines that bring you pleasure and not the wines that somebody else think are good. So let, let me ask you a question. Uh, in, your, in, your, uh, in your travels in the wine industry, especially in the kosher wine industry, so what do I only travel seen? in the kosher wine industry. <laughs> so yeah, what do I see? <laughs> what have you seen in, in terms of the sophistication of the kosherous aspect. I know that you told me uh, when we were communicating by email that the um, that you know you're you're a you're a, prof- you're a wine professional, not a not a not necessarily kosher. 
But um, I, I sense, let me, let me just preface it this way. I sense that the kosher profession, you know, knowing it from this end, has also had to evolve as the kosher consumer has evolved in really, you know, going from, as we said earlier, the Manischewitz and the Kremalaga to more exotic locales, more, uh, you know, from it being a maybe one season a year kosher issue, making sure everything is done properly, you know, in terms of, in terms of, you know, the handling of it and, and, and really becoming a very, you know, very uh, involved industry. Have, have you been exposed to that at all in the, in the kosher sense of it, or have you come across you know, the, 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 the brave kosher professionals that, uh, that deal with this uh, in this area? Yeah. I mean, obviously when you're, you know, wine being I th- primarily stemming from its, you know, elevated level of Kedusha and its social lubricative uh, tendencies, you know, has, has evolved into a very complex plate of, of halacha that, you know, requires a lot of understanding. And I think that what I have seen over the years is a couple, uh, in the realm of kashrut, is a couple of things. The first is that it really depends on which country, right? There are countries where it's a lot easier to make kosher wine than others, right? In Eretz Israel, it's obviously a lot easier to make kosher wine than it is in Portugal, right? In Eretz Israel, you have a wide variety of uh, Sabbath-observant Jews who, who who can help and who are in relatively close proximity to the wineries because Israel is a small country and pretty much everything is relative close proximity to everything else. And But at the same time, in Eretz Israel, the wineries are smaller and they're less, Most many of them are more, kind of family owned or boutique owned and, and, and in a lot of these places the the mashkiach or the people who are tasked with being able to handle the wine are actually working in the winery as as workers. And these are people who over the years really learn the business of winemaking along with the technical aspects of it and they become skilled in an actual in the actual winemaking process itself. And if the winemaker is Shomer Shabbat, and you know, then he's doing a lot of it. But the workers in the winery are are learning a lot about about the winemaking. There are areas where the mashkiach is just kind of the mashkiach, maybe the way it is more in a restaurant where he comes, he checks, or if he's a mashkiach tmidi, he's watching and he's checking all the time, but he's not peeling vegetables or plating plating dishes. But in the wineries, a lot of times the the mashkiachim are the ones who are actually doing a lot of work. Making wine is a physical activity and there's a lot of physical labor involved that requires you to be a Shomer Shabbat person to do it, whether it's lugging barrels or hoses or doing things like that. So I think that's one thing that's changed. And I've, you know, like you said, the 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 more widespread wine appreciation becomes, the more diverse the locales are. And, and making kosher wine in a non-kosher winery in a foreign country where there aren't a lot of Sabbath observant Jews it's complicated, whether it's Spain or Italy, but at the same time, the, 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 the kosher organizations have risen to the challenge and recognize that this is a bargaining industry and a place where there's a need uh, that needs to be met, and they've really risen to the challenge, and it's no longer, I mean, these, some of these operations are months and months at a time where, you know, there are shuls cropping up in all kinds of esoteric places, and you'll find kosher restaurants in places where they never were before not necessarily to service a Jewish community, but to some degree to service the wine-related worker community. Mm-hmm. So that's that's very that's comforting to know that. Uh, I mean, I have no doubt, but that uh, that the, the, my colleagues have, have really 
reason to the occasion. I'm sure the fact that there's a Chabad house in, in all many of these locales um, helps out a lot with getting getting uh, the, the right mashkichim in the right places, the right people in order to to service these wineries. Yes, in many of these places, the vast majority of mashgichim are Chabad, are the the bacharim who are either learning in the yeshiva and working, you know, half a day here or for a week here. Um, a lot of them are are Chabad. I'd say, I'd say most of them outside of Israel and the United States are are Chabad individuals. That's uh, that's that's true. We, we we often when we get the uh, mashkichim that apply for jobs with us here in the bottom of the queen, and I'll, and I'll talk to them. They'll tell me they have extensive kashrut knowledge, and more often than not, if they were in an exotic locale, they'll uh, they'll have wine making or being a mashkich or working in the winery as part of the uh, as part of the resume. Let me let me ask you a question that's been bothering me for many many years, and I'm still not at the point where I can really tell the difference. But okay. as you know, in America. We in the United States, I can only talk for the United States, we have a policy that we do not allow non-Mavushal wine in our restaurants. Mm-hmm. And only Mavushal, and that's because we're afraid that it's going to be touched by a non-Jewish or someone who should not be touching it. And quite often, uh, you know, when we get a new store or I'll get a, a store owner who says, you know, Rabbi, it's not fair. Um, in fact, I was in Eretz Yisrael in the summer. One of the owners said to me, he says, what's wrong with you guys in Israel? In America, that you don't allow uh, non-mavushal wine, it's much better than mavushal. Uh, to, to me, I, to me, it seems that not, the mavushal wine has come a long way, and it's—I don't know if it's on par, but it's certainly up there with the non-mavushal wine. Is, is that true? Is, have you seen that? Am I making that up? Uh, you know, can you can you shed light on on us non non-professionals or non? you know, non-sensitive palate people about the difference between mavushal and non-mavushal as it comes to the taste. So so I'm going to break down the, that, that that question has, even if it didn't have a lot of parts in the question, it actually has a couple of parts in the answer, so bear with me. So so the first thing is, over the years, um, the technology involved with a, with making a wine mavushal has obviously evolved, as has technology in almost every other area of our of our lives. So, so, so that's the first thing. So the, the, the ability to, to, to make a wine mevushal without significantly or, or just let's leave it as impairing the quality of the wine has certainly evolved over the years. And it's a lot easier today to make a high-end or a high-quality mevushal wine than it was 20 years ago. That is just technology has evolved. The second piece of what's um, – the second piece that's involved is – the process at which, um, how, how, how they do the Mabushal process. And, and, you know, there are a lot of different pieces to it. The two that I guess are probably most relevant um, are the temperature at which they do it and when during the process of wine is, the, is, is it done. So for the vast majority of Mabushal wines, uh, which are almost all at the lower end of the market because they're being mass produced and the main market for those wines up till recently has been, you know, simchas, catering halls, hotels, places like that where putting aside the difference between Israel and America, kashrut organizations in this regard, where there are a lot of non-Jews who are going to be handling the wine, right? A lot of non-Jewish waiters or chefs at catering halls and, and hotels and places like that. So there's a need to have Nebuchadnezzar wine. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of those wines are at the lower end of the spectrum on the price range. And 
the, the process is done and they make the, the winery will produce the wine and right before they bottle the wine out of the barrels or the vats into the bottles, they will run it through a flash pasteurization process, right? So at that point, what happens is that one wine, you have a finished wine and then you're doing something to it. So in those, for those wines, you know, your average consumer doesn't typically get to taste the differences because a lot of the times that, that let's just talk about Israeli wineries, they'll make a Mabushal version for the U.S. market and a non-Mabushal version for the, for the Israeli market or, you know, the French, the French wines, they'll make a non-Mabushal version for the European market and they'll make a Mabushal version, especially for the U.S. market. On occasion, they will actually have both versions in the U.S. market um, and you just have to, you know, pay attention. As someone, you know, who's very involved in the wine industry and who travels a lot, I've have the opportunity very often to taste both versions and there is almost always a difference. Um, but again, the difference is much more pronounced when the process is done at the end of the winemaking process. There are many wineries and different hashkachot have different views on this, but there are many wineries that do the process much earlier in the winemaking process, which enables the winemaker to, to have more control over the process and, and have the finished wine be more, be less influenced by the, by the, by the bichol process. And one of the main things that in today's day and age where the technology has advanced, one of the main things that the Mabushal process does is it accelerates the aging of the wine to some degree. So often you'll find that the Mabushal wine is more approachable when it's released to the market than the non-Mabushal wine because the bichol process has accelerated that aging process a little bit and makes it more enjoyable to some degree. What it, right. what, it almost, what it almost entirely does unequivocally is it impairs the wine's ability to age. That said, Herzog, which is probably Herzog and Hagafen, you know, two U.S., uh, two California sure, wineries, California. which have been making wine for 20, 30, 40 years, both of them make Mavushal wines that have been known to age for 20 years with no apparent ill effect. So it is possible and a lot of it has to do with when in the process it's done and how it's done. When it comes to Mavushal wines, um, do you think that, is, is there one in particular that you think is really, you know, off the charts in, in terms of that you would, that you would recommend or, you know, I'm, because, because, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, not, not because I'm asking you to tell one, one's better over the other, but, you know, someone's going to a kosher restaurant and, and they, well, I don't have my Mavushal, I want, my, you know, I want my Mavushal. What, what, what would you suggest should be, uh, or, or do you have on your website where a consumer can go and just ch check out where a good Bavushal wine is so that he can look for it in, in the next time he goes out with his wife uh, for their anniversary? I don't, I don't yet. I'm, I've been working on this page for my website for quite some time. I just have not yet gotten around to it. My kind of broad recommendation, which is easy to follow because it's, it's because these are wines that are made every year and are always Mabushal, so it's kind of easy to give a general recommendation, has always been at the high end, the Herzog Chalk Hill, which is mm -hmm. probably one of the better, one of the best kosher Mabushal wines. And in the mid-level, the Herzog Alexander Valley, which is, you know, has long been one of my kind of go-to restaurant wines in the, in the U.S. And for white, the Herzog Russian River. And if you're sensing a pattern, it's because, you know, Herzog has been making high quality Mabushal wines consistently for almost 30 years. And while some vintages are better than others, 
you can basically buy any of those three wines and know that you're going to get a decent bottle of wine. Other, there are many other high-end, great quality Mabuchal wines. They're not made every year. The vintage varies, so it's a little harder mm-hmm. if you're not kind of in the know to follow. But those are kind of off the top of my head. Okay, so her, yeah, so her tag, her tag is good to go go with. I, I think you can find it in most fine kosher restaurants. Definitely. Let's let's uh, let's uh, transition a little bit to really why we're having this conversation now. And we all understand that if there's one time of the year where wine is front and center, it's this time of the year. It's Pesach. Now, I just want to tell you a story about me, you know, the, the novice. I got into wine drinking quite a few years ago, six, seven years ago, whatever it was. And I remember that my first Pesach, after I had been converted to having dry wine, you know, I, I never was able to drink dry wine. Yucky, it smells. Why would anybody drink it? It's terrible. It tastes like ink. And right. my brother-in-law, you know, told me, you know, sniff it and, and drink it and, 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 and uh, sip it. And, and, and I, I became a changed person. So all of a sudden I became a connoisseur and I went out and I went to my local wine, kosher wine store. And I said, I want a nice bottle for the Seder. And I bought black tulip. Is that correct? Is that what they call it? Yes. The tulip. That is yes. black, black tulip. Yep. I figured, you know, oh, the Seder, black tulip, $75 bottle of wine. Mahadur, I'm doing, I'm doing what Hashem wants me to do. It's red and it's dry and it's <laughs> expensive. And what could be better than that? And I'm leaving Team Malaga forever. I'm done with you, and I'm I'm a fine I'm a fine smacker. I'm really the top of the game now. And I right. probably had the worst seder I ever had in my life. <laughs> the first coach put me out. You know, Magid, I was like groggy, and by the time I had the second one, I was done. So right. I learned a lesson that expensive and heavy for the seder is really not the way to go. On the other hand, you know, going back to Team Malaga. Is is uh, is not the place. Probably you know nothing. Nothing bad about Cremalaga. I love the Herzogs. I love them. They're great people. Everybody that works there and Jay and I have other friends that work for Herzog. Had them. Not, nothing. Nothing. Nothing bad. But just in terms of like a recommendation, maybe if not a brand, like we said earlier, but some sort of uh, you know alcohol level or thickness level or something that you can give the listeners you know an eight type of to approach the stater and the Dalakosa. Um, Okay. So. Just to take one step back, I, I, uh, every year I produce what I call my annual Pesach wine buying guide, which yeah, contains... So let, let, me, let me jump in Sorry. for a second there. Let me jump in for the Pesach wine guide because I want to give you a plug. I've been using that Pesach okay. wine guide for years now, and uh, I take it to the wine store, print it. I'll, I'll look up and down and up and look and down, just, just checking you know, the, the prices and seeing it up on, and, and, and I'll base it off of that. So I want, you know, after all these years, I want to give you a shkaya for... For guiding me. That okay. Being said, well, thank you. Thank you. So continue. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, I'm. I'm. You know, that's exactly what it's for. Because as I was saying earlier, I feel like sometimes somebody somebody's getting into wine or or wants to kind of upgrade their wine drinking process, and suddenly they walk into the wine store and there's 300, 500 bottles on the shelf and there's really no good way to to pick from them and you're kind of at the mercy of the prettiest label or you know it's much better today than it was let's say 10 years ago when I started doing the wine guide the people in the store actually have a much better knowledge and investment in, in understanding the wines and so with 3,000 bottles out there I you know every year I try and whittle it down to you know a more digestible list of wines while still providing, you know, a wide enough range that people can find what they like. And I divide it into price ranges, you know, up to $18 and 18 to 30, 30 to 50, over 50. And, 
you know, what I what I call my Mashiach wines, which are wines that were I ever to be Zolcha to have the Mashiach uh, join me at the Seder, I would, uh, these are wines that I would serve him with pride along with Shor Habor and the Livyasan. So, I like so that sweet you know, spot that you have. You have that called that sweet spot. What is it like? Eight between eighteen dollars and eighteen to to thirty is kind of where you. I mean, the prices yeah, have creep, like creep, creeped up up over the years. Um, right. And along with all of this long list, which is kind of at the end of a somewhat long email, the email itself talks about the various difficulties which you alluded to with, with what kind of wines to drink at the seder. Right? There are a lot of criteria that people are trying to hit with the Seder, right? People want to have red wine. People want to have wine that's not mevushal. People want to have wine with relatively low alcohol. People want to have wine that's appropriate for the fact that the Seder night is one of the most important nights of the Jewish tradition and certainly carries a lot of value in it and is obviously closely connected to wine by by, by way of the Arbacosos. But at the same time, it's neither the time or the place for wines that require a lot of t- attention, contemplation, right? You have to finish the wine within a very short period of time. You have to finish Rove Coast. You know, over the years, I think people have become more attuned to the various shurim, and there are now a lot of people will get special kosos for the for the for for the seder that are either 3.5 milliliters or 4.2 milliliters, depending on whether you want to follow chazanish or not. And you know, when you have a 3.5 milliliter glass and you have to drink Rove Coast, it's a very different ballgame than when you're trying to finish your whole becher. But many of us are traditionalists and like to use the becher, so it's a kind of a fine line. Between those, between those, those two things, I, you know, personally tend to recommend for the seder. There, there's a whole kind of genre or new wave of people who are very focused on drinking rosé because it is conceptually red wine, tends to be lighter in body and in tannin, is easier to consume, and a lot of it can be lower alcohol. There are very few wines, however, quality wines that come in below, let's say. 11, really 12% if we're talking about red wines. So while there is a real difference between 12 and 15%, there aren't really a whole lot of, there really aren't any quality, high-end, untouched kind of wines that are, you know, replaced the Kessar or the, there are a couple of various different low alcohol, non-Mavushal wines out there. So it's tough. It's tough. I tend to find wines that are easier to drink, Lower in tannin, you know, Pinot Noir is a, is a pretty good one. Lighter Petit Syrah is a good one on the red side. You know, some lighter blends are, are the wines that I, that, I, that I like to focus on, again, broadly speaking. And I, so, and I so try to have a Mashiach wine mm-hmm. or a high-end wine during the Shulchan Aruch because at the end of the day, it is Yom Tov and, and Simcha Elabos Arveyayin. And, you know, different people have different capacities for, or for, and tolerances for wine and matzah. But I do think that it is important to elevate the kedusha of the meal with a nice bottle of wine. And even if you have only a couple of sips or half a glass or a glass of a really nice bottle of wine, I think I personally, this is not kind of like a wine recommendation. This is just a yassi habit thing is to is to usually have at least one nice bottle of wine during Shulchan Aruch where you can relax and contemplate and can elevate the, the mood of the Seder. Well, in, in our family, what we do is we uh, will have the easier things to do um, by the Seder, you know, some people even have Rashi light or, you know, something like that just to be able to get it down or maybe even later in this, in the Seder, but especially during the day meal, I think, you know, that's an easier time for many people to try and experiment and have a little more upscale wines or, you know, like you say, the Mashiach wines. So that's certainly uh, uh Pinot Noir and, and uh, the Rosé, that's certainly a very good Eta. 
let me let me conclude by asking a question. I know we're taking a little bit of your time, and we appreciate it. it's a busy time for everybody. Well, what are the trends in kosher wine? I'll just tell you a quick story. I was in a wine store a couple of years ago in in a locale outside of New York City, not very far, one of the counties, suburban counties, and the the, the owner was a non-religious Jew, and I asked him, how come you don't have rosé? And he said, no, nah, Jewish people don't drink rosé. Well, obviously that's changed. And, uh, you know, that trend has changed. Whites have become very popular. Rosé has become popular, especially in the summer when you, you, you refrigerate it. What, what do you see? Where do you see the kosher wine market going? Where do you see the trends going? Are they going to change? What, what, how do you see this shaking out? You know, again, to be to be brief, I'd, I'll, I'd pick a couple of things that are, that are happening is that, that wine is becoming much more mainstream. Many, many wine is no longer the realm of Feinschmeckers and, and, and gourmands. It's becoming much more mainstream. Many more people are incorporating wine into their into their lives. And again, it's an easy market, right? Because we all have wine at Kiddush at every Chag, almost every family gathering, there's going to be a, a, a wine bottle. So people, so it's a much easier transition to go from a Schwach bottle of wine to a better bottle of wine than it is to go from not having wine to having wine. That's a much bigger transition. So wine is already part of most Jewish homes. It's becoming much more mainstream, the same way that food over the last couple of years has become kind of a much bigger part of the, the, the firm community, the wine has too. And people are looking to, to, to immerse themselves in this world, which is a combination of a passion and, a, and, and halacha and, and a way to, and kedusha. And there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of easy ways to justify doing that. So the wine world is expanding and wines are kind of rising to the occasion. So you're having a much bigger diversity of types of wines and costs of wines and things like that to meet this growing demand. So the, the, the biggest trend, I think, is that over the last five years, the, 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 there's been a lot of growth in the, in the kosher wine world. And I envision that to continue. Taking my own newsletter as an example, it took me you know, probably 10 years to go from 200 subscribers to 5,000 subscribers, but only three years to go from five to 10. So there's a lot of, there's been a lot of exponential growth over the last couple of years. Another trend, which is a little bit kind of against what you were speaking about earlier about, about the wines from Israel is that for a long time, Israeli wines were kind of the mainstay of the kosher wine industry, whether it was because there were the, the most of them or because of people like the support at Israel or because they were the easiest to find. But over the last three probably years, Israel had a couple of hard years. Shemitah tends to interfere with, 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 the, with, with, with the issue as well. And there's been a lot of push by a, lot of, by a number of the distributors to promote French wines and to a lesser degree Spanish and Italian wines and wines from a wide variety of range of regions. But French wines have really kind of picked up in popularity. And today there are probably 100 different wines, that are, French wines, that are brought to the United States, and I'm, I would have to sit down and count, but in that range, and they, they range across from $10 to $300. And there's really something for everyone, and a lot of people feel like they don't like French wine or they don't know how to try it, but unlike Israel and to a lesser degree the United States, vintage and, vintages in, in France are, could be very different from one year to another. And you know, as an example, 2015 was a relatively hot year in France, and a lot of the wines are fruitier and riper than, 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 than they have than many of the previous vintages, and they're much more approachable. And people are, you know, it's become kind of hip and a little bit prestigious to have French wine, and there's a lot of availability. So there is a trend to drink less Israeli wine and more, and more French wine, which is following a kind of concurrent trend of 
going from bigger, bolder, oakier, more powerful wines to wines that are more subtle, elegant, and have more finesse and are more digestible with food. In other words, a lot of these wine regions like France and Italy and Spain, wine is part of the everyday meal, and therefore a lot of the wines reflect the compatibility of wine and food, whereas sometimes it's hard to have a big, robust wine with a relatively light meal. But you can drink, like you said, white has become much more popular, another trend, rosé, another trend. You know, wines are moving. The, and this is a trend that was in the non-kosher world, let's say, 10 years ago, and the kosher world is now kind of uh, catching up. So those would be, you know, white wine is definitely a huge, uh, a huge surge of popularity, although I still encounter many, many, many hundreds of people who only drink red wine, but I'm trying to convert them one by one. Well, I hope, certainly hope it works out because they're missing out. I just want to conclude by telling you, I, I promised to you when we spoke that I'd tell you a story, <laughs> okay. you know, just to, just to toot your horn a little bit. So this past summer, I had the great supposed to be with my son in Eric Cattrall, and we went, we went to the Yamamelech, and uh, on our way back from the Yamamelech, we saw on your website, which I've been following for many years, that you have an unbelievable guide to Israeli wineries. And uh, anybody who has the opportunity to do it should go to com and look at that Israeli guide map, the interactive Google map. It's just, it's breathtaking. And I have to thank you for that. And I called up Yako from Yatzer Winery and you had posted his cell phone number. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you were if you were supposed to or not. And Probably not. I called him up and I, I called him up and I said, Yaakov, he says, yeah. He says, how'd you get my number? I said, Yossi gave it to me. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> on his website. And they, oh, I'm going to kill Yossi. But anyway, he said, no, come on over. Bring your son. We'd love to have you. Uh, by the time we got there from the Yamamela, um, the, the, um, the Mashkech had left. And, and just to give a plug for Kashrus and the OK that gives the Ashkach over there, he says to me, listen, I would love to take you inside and show you everything, but the Mashkech is gone. He has the key. I cannot get in. Uh, we're going to have to suffice by going into the wine tasting room. And he pulled out a whole spread of cheese and vegetables. And he was talking about Eric Yisrael like the way a, a mother talks about her newborn baby and the winery and the grapes and everything. And it was all in the schutz of Yossi Harvitz. I, I want to thank you for getting a VIP tour of Yatir Winery <laughs> with one of the most wonderful Jews I ever met in the world, Yaakov. And uh, it was really an experience that my, that uh, I didn't forget. And more importantly, my teenage son, he will never forget. So I want to thank so, you. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for the kind words. And I'm glad to be of service. Um, I, you know, I do, I, I, wanna, do it to, I do it for people to do that. So when I hear that it actually happens, it always makes me happy. Yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. And I'm actually looking at the bottle of wine, the two-case the, the two bottle of wine that I bought, two-bottle case that I bought. I think it's a rosé and a red in the uh, Yatir box. I'm looking, I'm in my office, it's on my, it's on my shelf, and Mr. Uh, Shen will open it for Yantif. I just want to take this opportunity to thank you, Rabiasi, taking out time for your busy schedule and Eric Pesach, and uh, I give you a bracha that you should continue to be mezake, yidden in, in enjoying wine and doing mitzvahs with wine and being able to really help the klal with, uh, with, like, as you said, something which has a lot of kedusha to it and also something that we can enjoy Eulam Azeh with in, in the most proper ways. Amen. And have a chakashah with Samach. You too. All the best. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.